So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to another episode of So Rare in the States. This is Chris Brown along with my co-host Chris Nash. How you doing today, Nashy? Very good, mate. How are you? Uh, it's a lovely weekend. DC United couldn't get the win, but we drew England, and that's going to be a fun one between me and you a little bit later on this year. So I am looking forward to that. We are also joined by our first ever guest on the show. Uh, he's a legend in the circles around here. His name on Sorero's Orange Fly. This is Bob Flynn. How you doing, Bob? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. It's nice to be able to talk about football, or as we know it in the States, soccer. That's the right word for it, soccer. Uh, since we're drawn against England, now we can be very blatantly American about everything. We'll, we'll have to do a um, we'll have to do a prop bet. Whoever whoever wins for the rest of the show's history, if the US beat us, we'll call it soccer. If we win, you have to call it football for the for the rest of your career. I'm okay with that. What happens if Wales wins or Scotland wins? Then we cancel the show. We just done. Move on with our We're lives. out. It's yeah. over. It's over. We'll do something else. Oh boy. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Really excited about that. And we'll talk a little bit about World Cup and, and that as we get closer to it. Um, but for today, obviously we had an MLS weekend this past week. Um, I was actually working. Our team had a game, so I didn't get to see anything. I've gone over most of the highlights though. Um, and a few things actually stood out to me. Um, so I'll just kind of start here. And I was kind of actually impressed with Alex Bono in Toronto. He made a few saves. I've always had him as not a starting goalkeeper in the MLS, but he looks like he may be back to that like 2017, 2018 form that, uh, he was actually a pretty decent goalkeeper at the time. He's not an old goalkeeper. So, um, I'll be interested to kind of watch him as, as we continue on a little bit longer. And then, um, yeah, obviously the the big injury news. We had Shakiri come off for an injury. Nashi, were you watching that at all? Did you see how bad it was? No, I was. Uh, I missed the first half, but I read up on it after, and it, it seems like he just had a bit of tightness in the calf, and seemed like a precaution, and he's still in with a chance next week. So I probably keep keep an eye out for updates, but nothing serious, thank God. That's good. Yeah, Chicago off to a really good start. I actually thought they might have a chance to beat Dallas with the rotated squad that Dallas threw out there, but only a nil-nil draw. Kind of seems like Chicago has some issues scoring, but their defense is amazing. So the Gaga Slanina owners out there definitely are uh, are going to be pleased with that. Bob, what did you see from this past week? Yeah, I mean, really for me, it was not a shock that international guys were getting rest. So mm-hmm. I'm big on guys like Walker Zimmerman, Miles Sanders, you know, Miles Sanders, Miles Robinson, and you know, this is not Swift. a football podcast. This is a football it's podcast. A football podcast, but it's a soccer <laughs> podcast. But in uh, and, and uh, what's his name, uh, Ferrer. So like they were all, I left them all on my bench. I wasn't certain what was going to happen with them, and you know, things just kind of worked out. You know, it's I was really looking and paying a lot of attention to the Kansas the Sporty KC game, and I'm an owner of Daniel Shalloway, and it was really disheartening to see them being unable to really produce any sort of offense with him and Russell against Vancouver, who's not been great defensively throughout yeah. the course of the year. Vancouver's been really bad. 
And I don't know what that is a result of. I know that they are missing a number of people and, you know, they got rid of Ilya last year and just things have fundamentally changed in that sporting KC attack. And I just don't know what to do uh, in game with it. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I mean, it's tough. Like, cause also it could be just Vancouver, like BC place is a tough place to play. Vancouver has been on the road for three of the first four. I believe they had one really bad result at home. I think it was a nil nil draw in YCFC. Um, but yeah, BC place is a tough place to go and play. Hassal played out of his mind. He big saves. He had a, had a big week actually for me in, in U23. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely worrying to see Shallowy, who was a breakout player last year, no doubt about it. But the couple of years before that was not consistent whatsoever. I think he had maybe two goals in two. Uh, obviously, you lose Alan Polito for the entire season. You talked about Ilya Sanchez being gone. You, you didn't even mention Gianluca Busio's gone to Italy. He was a big creator for them as well. So it's a tough situation. And Peter Vermees has had a track record of getting these things on track. But at this point, they definitely need some help. Oh, well, and I think you're right, Chris. I think you also really hit on something at the start with Hassel. You know, against better competition, I've seen that he's playing better. And of course they're at home for those games. So I'm really focusing on the sporting KC game and the NYCFC game where he played out of his mind for two games, has shutouts and they're not creating offense around him. And he's having to really stand on his head. And it's been really nice. It gives me hope for the home games that they play over the U23 summertime. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Maxi Krupo kind of did the same thing for Vink um, before going to LAFC. But this is really encouraging from Hassal that he can do that uh, stand on his head thing because Vancouver does need it. Sometimes, despite Ryan Gauld and Dahomey, and I mean, Dahomey didn't even play yesterday. Um, but despite all these attacking pieces that they have, sometimes they just go completely cold. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about this, Nashi? Have you watched any Vancouver at all? Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I actually have Hazel. He's my rare under twenty three keeper for the summer, so I'm keeping an eye on him. And he, I mean, from just from his scoring, from a so rare standpoint, he seems like as long as he's not going to concede free, he's going to put together a respectable score. Seems like they're taking, you know, they they they're letting a lot of shots go off on him, but he seems to be seems to be doing well. And like the main thing for me is that he seems like he's locked in for this season at least as a starter, and he's developing. So. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty happy with that, and a clean sheet's massive. And apparently on the fringes of the Canadian national team um, come the Cup, so that might be something to watch. It, I don't think he actually plays there, but he could be the third third goalkeeper, so maybe a little bit of extra value come the fall. Um, Bob, did you have anything else that you saw that, that you were interested in or that, that you thought was noteworthy? Well, you know, I mean, overall, it's just I watched – I'm a big Charlotte fan, and watching the way that they played, it made me happy at the same time. They got beat early. It was, mm-hmm. they got early by a very a, a full field pass that went down and just created openings. And Waltz was too slow coming back. I figure that that's fixed with McCoon coming back into the lineup. And of course, Kalina had a big blunder, but overall, I'm still excited. I, I'm actually really excited about where they could potentially go and what they can grow into because things are starting to come into shape. It seems like they appreciate and like the coach's system for what's actually going on there. And they got some young talent that's, getting me excited as I know we're going to talk about with the new players that are going to be released. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know Nashi and I had gone to Atlanta, Charlotte, and we had watched a team that wasn't, that didn't really know how to go forward. That didn't really know what they were in the attack. And in the last couple of games, they've started to kind of started to kind of figure out a little bit where they're going to go and how they're going to move the ball down the field. I think for this past game, really, you have to give credit to Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia has been on a tear. They're top of the league 
it's very difficult to beat them at home. I mean, they, they get rid of Montero, they get rid of Shabilko, and it's like, well, they're going to take a step back. And we say this every single year. Like last year, they got rid of Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. They're going to take a step back. Well, no, they finished second, I think, last year. Um, I think you just got to give a lot of credit to Jim Curtin. He's done a phenomenal job with that team, and it, going to Subaru Park is never easy for anybody. Um, and that's kind of, I think, what Charlotte ran into a little bit last night. What did you take away, Nashi, from that Charlotte-Atlanta game, and, and have you seen any games since then? Have they kind of Im- impressed or, or improved since then? Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Kalina, he made a mistake this week, but he was unbelievable uh, in the game mm-hmm. we went to and in yeah. every, every other game I've seen. I mean, it's just a big... It can't be sort of undersold how hard it is to bring a group of players together and have sort of any expectations in the first few few weeks of the season for them to really get their identity. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I mean, I would for me, I would have had no expectations as a Charlotte fan other than, you know, they're giving 100%. That's all you can ask. And they've actually done, starting to put together some real performances, starting to build an identity. And I feel like, they're kind of the team that people are rooting for, you know? They're a popular team. They're a popular franchise already. They're sort of, you know, the big crowd, the big attendance. And, yeah, I'm excited to see where they go. I mean, in terms of performance, it's probably going to be a little bit inconsistent through the season. But, yeah, probably the, the second half of this season really tell sort of where their next few years is going to look for Charlotte, in my opinion. Bob's shaking his head pretty aggressively on that they're easy to root for thing. So I, I love to see the smile over there. Tell me why they're a playoff team, Bob. Oh, I mean, it's they're coming into their own. They're starting to find some offense in there. Uh, I don't know when Vinicius Mello, their other U21 striker that's coming from Brazil, is due in. They have pieces in place. Welks is back to health. McCoon will be coming back into the team. Kalina is just a rock in the back. And it's just overall, I, I like to see how they're playing. They're, they're playing with that tenacity, that fierceness. And it's kind of here in the States, you know, we're having the NCAA tournament right now for college basketball. And we talked about like the gritty, scrappy teams that no one thinks can win. And that's the kind of feel I get with Charlotte. They need a moment like North Macedonia had against Italy. They just mm-hmm. need one strike and they can do it and they can hold things together. And I'm just looking forward to what's going on. They're starting off better than I felt that Austin did last year. You know, it's just, I don't know. I'm really happy to see what they're doing. I watch every match just to see what's going on. Ben Bender, you know, I love him, but I don't know, man. It's there's a lot of excitement around. If you ever want to run up the auction price on somebody for anybody listening, Ben Bender is the man to do it because Bob Flynn will outbid you. He's told me he's he's going <laughs> to outbid everybody. Erling Holland, step aside. Ben Bender is going to be the new most expensive card in server history. Um, oh. One more quick thing that I wanted to get to. And Bob, do you have something else? Yeah, I, there's actually two things I wanted to get to. So number one, Lucas Elorayan back, not missing a game against Nashville, who even without Walker Zimmerman starting, gave up no goals. How strong defensively is that team coming through? And how much of a threat are they to win it all, even with them traveling throughout the entire first half of the year? Like first half, the first seven matches of the year. Traveling as a West Coast team now, too. They're in the Western Conference. They're going to Seattle and Vancouver and all these crazy places. And they're still putting up results. It's impressive. And I don't think they're getting enough credit because they are traveling. So a lot of them are either one nothing wins or nil-nil draws or something like that. But yeah, you're 100% right. Nashville has had probably the mo- one of the most impressive starts to the season of anybody. I totally agree. And it's just, it's a lot of fun, of course. I've got a rare Willis and Zimmerman stack. So that 
always makes me happy with Zellerian. So nice to have him back. But we're talking about that match, and we haven't even mentioned the most entertaining game of the entire weekend between two of the worst teams I've really watched play in a long time, and that's Montreal Cincinnati. And I know your boy, Alec Khan, man, there are some people that don't think he's very good, Chris. He's struggling. Uh, okay, let's let's put a little let's put a little package around this. Let's put a, a frame around this. He's struggling. Yes, his defense in front of him is horrific right now. Like they're not. It's it's not even like just being out of position. It's being out of position and then not even attempting to get back into position. Like they're just not running. They're not trying at this point. Um. And yeah, I expected a ton more from Cincinnati. They've scored a bunch of goals. They have no problem going forward, but this seems like the same old Cincinnati. No matter how many goals they score, they're going to give up one more. They're going to give up two more. And against the, I mean, yes, Georgi Mihailovic is a good player. Both of the goals he scored, he shouldn't have had a chance to even shoot that. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit frustrated with, with not so much Khan specifically, but just the team in general, they need some help. And if there were ever going to be a DP signing for a defender, like that is the one team where you go, this team could really use a DP defender. Um, in the midfield too, I mean, they added Moreno, which is helping, but Kubo is just not going to be a defensive midfielder. <laughs> like, uh, it's just not, it's not coming off right now for Cincinnati. And I hope that they figure it out and kind of get it straightened, straightened out. Um, but let's also give credit to Montreal as, as bad as they've been. They're a team that never, ever, ever stops playing. That's the one thing they don't have a ton of talent, but they play really hard for the coach. Um, and so you got to give them a lot of credit for coming back and winning four, three in just an absurd game. Yeah. And I, you're right. That defense in Cincinnati doesn't help him. There was, so much space on both Mahalovic's goals. The last goal they went through, a long pass down the and Khan should have done better on the cross, but both defenders, both center backs, looked like they were running into each other, bumbling drunk and a bar crawl. It just completely clueless with a wide open guy in the back post. Like just, man, it was, I might've been able to actually make it if I didn't have two left feet and I was on there and I was not slow and not out of shape, so... Is that all? Is that all you needed to, to make it? Seems like a lot. Another foot of height, but hey, what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been poor for Cincinnati. Um, yeah, I I wanted to touch on one other thing as well, really quickly here. Um, I want to I want to say what's going on with New England. We were talking in the uh, in the pre meeting, the pre show meeting about uh our our boy Boo, um and and heel and the whole New England thing that's going on and. I, I I wrote earlier this week that it was time for New England to start playing. This is a Red Bull team that I don't think... I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. They've played two good teams, and they've lost one, drawn one, and they played two bad teams and won them both. So I, they're not a bad team. Um, I thought this would be a really good measuring stick to see where New England was. And not only does New England lose the game at home, but they lose it to a 10-man Red Bulls team. And that's just not good enough. Uh, especially, I mean, you can make all the excuses you want about CCL. It's been two weeks since they played a CCL game. Most of their players are not international. And uh, they have really no excuses for, for that performance. I don't know. Did you see that game, Nashi? Do you, do you have any thoughts about that? No, I didn't see the game. But following along with the... Do you think that's a case of uh, New England being poor or Red Bulls are really the real deal? They've started really strong and they've... You know, like that's a Brazilian performance to go a man down and then still 
I believe they scored a late goal in that game, if uh, like yeah. the last few minutes or something. And that that shows a lot about character. Still, sort of gambling at the end, still believing you can win. So, sort of my yeah. Do you think that's more a reflection of Red Bulls actually being at the level that they've sort of started at versus New England being terrible? Or what's your sort of takeaway? Yeah, I mean, not only did they score at the last minute, it was an atrocious own goal. I mean, they, I don't know who it was on the Red Bulls running down again, the right side, cross the ball through the middle, bounces off barrel, which bounces back out to the front, which goes off of Polster's foot into the net for an own goal. So, I mean, it's not like they created a real goal scoring opportunity. They just kind of put the ball into danger and New England managed to screw that up. And I think it comes down to, and Chris, you and I have talked about this, not having Tejan to open up some space and get the ball in, not as well as Gil, really creates some problems. When you don't have Bo down there as well, because when Tejan's not in there, it's really relying on Bo to start crossing the ball and putting it in with Gil to feed Buxa. Then you have some issues when it comes to actually creating that offensive strike. And it didn't help at the end either that Buxa got red card and thrown out of the game. He's going to miss the next match. Yeah, you're 100% right about Tejan Buchanan. And I think another thing, one the thing that was really hurting them earlier in the season was goalkeeping. Earl Edwards was just not good. He was letting in goals that shouldn't have been let in. This last game, Brad Knighton was very good. He made like three or four saves that were outstanding that Red Bull should have really scored on earlier in the game. Um, and, and they still can't find a way to get anything done. So they kind of fixed the one issue and it, it just doesn't solve anything. I, uh, I've never been a fan of Gustavo Bell. I don't think I've made that. I don't think that's a secret. Um, but I, I do think he, I do think they relied a lot on Tejan Buchanan. I think Buxa relied a lot on Tejan Buchanan to kind of open the space for heel. Now everybody can crowd heel. There's nowhere else to go. Bo isn't, Bo doesn't really create as much. He, he can kind of get on the end of some stuff and finish. But he's not he's not going to beat a man and create something, at least in my opinion. And I mean he is getting older as well. So the the them playing in the CCL, playing back to back to back games, obviously wasn't helpful for that team. But at this point, they need to they need to find out what's going on and and move on and, and, and be a little bit better going forward. Um so yeah, that's I think I think one thing. Did we have any anything else about the past week that you got that stood out to you? Um anything else that you wanted to go over? Not really for me. I mean, other than Jack Price still not finding form, still not getting people to connect on his crosses. I mean, it's he's a defensive midfielder that his AA has gone down a little bit. Maybe that's system, that's another year of age, but he's not picking up the assists consistently like he did last year. He's really reliant on those corner kicks and getting big headers in there, but it's just not happening right now. So he's got me a little anxious. You know, we're going to stick it out because when he hits, he hits hard. But I'd like to see something more out of it. Do you think that's Kellen Acosta being gone and he now has to drop a little further back and he can't create as much? I mean, it might be. I mean, seeing, you know, five to ten less points, fewer points, you know, from an AA perspective from him. So it's, again, spacing on the on the pitch. Like, any of these things could happen. I just simply don't know. I haven't been able to watch him enough to see where he's playing and how he's doing what he's doing because we don't really expect him to score goals at all like we expect him to create you know yeah. he's a really poor man's version of heel and it's really 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 poor man version of heel this year 
yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's not been good. And again, CCL issues with, with him as well. So you can kind of excuse maybe the first two games, but since then, uh, they've needed to pick it up. It was another game last night against a kind of a weakened RSL team that they only get a draw at home is not a good result for them. What about you, Nashi? Anything else that you saw this week that, that you wanted to go through? No, I'd like to, um, to wind it back and just sort of shoot a question over to Bob. I, I kind of, it interests me living out here. I talk to people about so rare and football. I'd like to know, like, how did you find so rare? Was it through football living in the States? Like what was the path that led you to so rare? Have you always had a passion for football just to get know a little bit more about you, your journey here and how you're coming and approaching the platform. You're obviously very knowledgeable about the MLS. Was that what led you in? Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to hear sort of from Bob, see, see what uh, what led you here. Yeah, so I played soccer, as we called it here when I was a kid, and even now, growing up and in high school, but I was never very good. I was just a little guy and was more a bulldozer than anything else, trying to run people over, even though I didn't have the height or strength to do so. And I always loved fantasy sports, so fantasy NFL, fantasy NBA. And my journey into NFTs really started with NBA Top Shot. And then I didn't like the fact that there was no utility, how it felt more like a money grab at times, just selling multiple packs and hundreds of thousands of moments. And it just didn't do it for me. And I accidentally came across so rare in my searches for something in the soccer football world and fell in love with it. Just loved the idea, wanted to get fully back into it because, you know, I was in Portugal for the World Cup last uh, four years ago. And it was amazing to actually watch it in Lisbon with Portuguese fans screaming and singing. And it was just a lot of fun. It was something that I've always been passionate about. Growing up as a kid, we used to play with our Portuguese family all the time. And so something that I loved and really felt. And so that's what really brought me over here. Um, and what was, the, um, like, what was the core thing that got really turned your sort of intrigue into excitement with Sora? Was it the gaming side the fantasy side was it the nft side was it the connection to the sport um how do you think that like building on that like sorry themselves with their new mls partnership can sort of attract an american audience to sorry and get them to enjoy it? what's the best avenue in your opinion so for me it started off with the gaming aspect of it the fantasy aspect of it it's like i said i was really big into fantasy nfl and fantasy nba and so I use my analytic approach more or less to figure these things out and try to get me in. And being able to tie that in, it ended up making me fall in love with teams and leagues that I never thought or dreamed I could be watching again, like ever. You know, I'm following a team in Peru constantly because they're a core part of my Champ America squad. You know, and with the utility of it, it just, everything kind of came together. And now I have a true passion where I'm waking up at off hours to stream a match in the Turkish league because I have the U23 goalkeeper Mirich. You know, I'm staying up super late at night to watch Mexican games on, you know, Telemundo and Tudun. Like it just, a lot of things have changed for me. And it's just something that I really grown to love, honestly. And like, I never thought that I would purposefully get a subscription to a streaming service just to watch, you know, La Liga matches and just to watch Serie A matches because I love my Lazio stack. It's just things have fundamentally changed and you really, you fall back in love with the game itself. And now all I want to do is I want to go over to the UK and actually check out a match 
you know, I would love to go see Chelsea play before they're absolutely gutted and destroyed and thrown out of the entire world. But is that ever going to happen? Who knows? I would love it to because as a, as a West Ham fan, I was going to say as a West Ham fan, part of me would uh, wouldn't mind seeing them taking down a peg or two. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of like the really brilliant thing about Sora. It kind of works both ways. There's going to be people that are introduced to the gaming and the NFT things through their initial spark and love of football. And then almost the reverse thing can happen. Even people who are not really into soccer football out here can be interested in sort of fantasy gaming, NFTs, and almost come in from the other way and end up loving football, like you're sort of saying there. And I, I think that's it's really interesting. I think a lot of people in the US market will sort of follow the same path as you, either getting invested in the game first and the strategy and the things behind it, and then, yeah, end up staying up till 3 a.m. watching a Peruvian Premier League game or whatever it is. I think that's the that's kind of the, a lot of the path that a lot of people friends of mine out here who don't necessarily fully immersed into football soccer world before they've got into so rare and now they're watching all the games it's brought them to the sport you know and I think the opposite might happen in Europe a lot of people over there my friends they love football they don't necessarily know about NFTs about the crypto space about the fantasy side of things and they're almost coming from the other side and yeah it's really yeah really interesting to hear that mate yeah well, and I have a question for you, Nashi. So you're a London-born guy. Like, is your league the EPL? And if so, did you ever follow the Bundesliga? Or did you follow the DVC? Like we do now with Sower opening us up to all this stuff. No, and, and I think that it's kind of really, like people here think like, oh, the MLS is like kind of an unknown league. But although there's these top five leagues in Europe, I couldn't have told you beyond the top one or two teams in each of, the Bundesliga, Liga, and I think a lot of people who love football in the UK, at least, maybe it's a bit of arrogance or with the blinders on, but I, I really think even those leagues are getting, through SoRare, are going to get much more exposure, much more connection. You know, like now I'd love to go to, on a Europe trip and go to Portugal, like you said, and watch a sporting game, go to the Bundesliga. You know what I'm saying? I think that, and that's not something that would have necessarily interested me before SoRare. So, so yeah, you you touched on something there. I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't think it's like all-encompassing your your European knowledge. It's usually, you know, the British people are going to follow the, their own league. Probably Germans will follow the Bundesliga. But right now, the interest in, in all the leagues is, yeah, it's just gone up a notch or two, even for me. So, yeah. So this is, I think, a really interesting point because there are really a lot of different leagues with a lot of different styles, right? You think of the Premier League, you think of a tough physical league, you think of La Liga, you think of this beautiful passing game that really flows really well. And from a Sorare perspective, I mean, we definitely have um, some different options and, and places that we can go. So is there like a, some league that's better for Sorare, some league that's worse for Sorare, in your opinion? That's a really interesting question that I've not really thought of, Chris. I I think there are different leagues that really feature for different positions. So I want my attackers and my attacking midfielders to really be in the Bundesliga because the defense is just not as good. Like I'd much rather play a striker against Borussia Dortmund who just can't seem to stop anything from going into the net. You know, I mean, they're kind of like Alec Khan. But... Ouch. <laughs> but, I, I mean, then you know, when it comes defensively, like I'm looking at, you know, the Brazilian league because there are simply no goals scored. Like if I could afford an Everson, I would buy one. 
you know, I have one in limited, but, you know, I want to focus on those kinds of defenders. I want to focus on those goalkeepers. While also, I want to focus on the J and the K league for the defenders who tend to just rack up AA scores for whatever reason. Now, I'm not awake to see those matches happen, but when I look and I see 45 AA scores for these guys, I have no idea what's happening. Like, not a clue as to why it is the way it is. And then I watch Tiago Martins come over from the J League, who had a monstrous AA scores on the defensive side. He's playing for NYCFC now, and his AA scores aren't remotely close to what they used to be. So there's clearly differences in the league, be it physicality, be it style of play, movement of the ball, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, in a perfect world, in a truly analytical world, I would probably move through and pick very specific positions for an all-star rare team based on the leagues, but I haven't gotten to that level of depth, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, I think um, just, yeah, go ahead, Nashi. No, I was going to say just to sort of, you know, we're so rare in the States, just to tie that background to you guys, what, for the people listening, what do you think the characteristics are of the MLS in relation to the so rare matrix? You know, like obviously my initial take is you don't want a goalkeeper in the MLS if you can avoid it. Cause there's, there's a lot of goals going in every weekend, you know, so... I feel like there's a lot of hate on Alec Khan right now, and I just want to step up and defend him. I have nothing to say, but I feel like he needs defending. <laughs> From someone in Cincinnati, he needs to be defended. I, I start Alec Khan as my super rare goaltender, so I'm with you, man. But, no, I mean, it's... As far as the MLS side of things go, you know, it's just... It's a fun league, but it's physical, right? And it's you get beat up when you come here. You know, Gonzalo Higuain is famous for saying, like, I thought I'd come over here and smoke cigarettes and score a whole bunch of goals. All of a sudden, he showed up and he got punched in the mouth a couple of times. And you realize that the physical attributes needed in the MLS are considerably different than elsewhere. And it's just an all-around different feel throughout the entire league itself. And when you can get skilled guys in here that can create space, and have other teammates create space like Tejan Buchanan used to do for Carl Seal, you can really get a dynamic player. You know, the same things happen in Toronto when Pozuelo has big games, they are creating space for him. You know, and I really want to see what happens up in Toronto when guys like Insignia get there. Like, how is he going to adjust? Because Chris and I have talked about this before. It takes some time to get used to the type of play in the MLS. Now, it's not nearly as skilled as the other leagues in Europe. But when I think of the leagues in Europe, I'm thinking, you know, that La Liga, it was the perfect breeding zone for the GOAT Messi to move the ball around and to create like openings in spaces. Whereas in the Premier League, it's again, more physical and a completely different mindsets and type of player that you really need to be good there. And I like, what I like about the MLS is that you get a wide range of players. And within the range, you can find anything. In any given week, someone can go and can absolutely blow up and have a great game. And this is why if you just go and you spend all of the money on the top five players in the MLS, you will not win nearly as much as you would if you were playing in the European leagues. It is. I, um... I think that's a great point. And that's something that I wanted to throw in there as well is the depth of the MLS. You can get pretty much anybody that starts in the MLS and at some point or another, they're going to have a monster week. And so I think from my perspective, I think the MLS is beautiful for an ETH grind team because there are guys that are very, very consistent that don't have upside, but are very consistently getting 50s and 55s like Darlington Nadby is a perfect example. And 
I think it's great for the new underdog league, which I think we're going to kind of talk about here in a little bit is, is the new announcements that came out last week as far as new gameplay modes um, and, and the app and everything moving forward. I think that's a big deal for the MLS because, I mean, I put I put a team in um, in there and I had two of my players go off and we got actually pretty close to getting a reward, which was pretty insane. I had one of my players not even play um, and two other guys came off the bench. So I, I didn't really have a great week, but I still wasn't that far away from uh, from from winning an, an underdog. And I think that can be to to Bob's point. I think that can be one league if you're looking for an underdog team is to maybe look at the MLS because there are so many guys that can produce in any given week and you just never know who it's going to be. So if you're looking for that lottery ticket, the MLS is a decent place to look. I'd like to um, just to tie it back to the Insigne thing again, like we talked about this before, Chris, and it's kind of that interesting idea. My stance was kind of in, I'm really big. I think Insigne is going to come here. I think at his current level, he potentially has an argument for the best player ever to play here. And I think that it's really hard to, like you say, adjust to a new league. But I think there's really is clear jumps in quality of player. And it's an absolute credit to the MLS that players like Shakiri and, and Insigne still in their prime, still with good years ahead of them are coming here. And I don't think it can be underestimated. I think Insigne can do what he wants here. The only thing that will stop him from, from performing to his top ceiling, I think, is just his attitude, you know. If he comes here, sort of takes his foot off the gas, wants to play 60 minutes a game, you know, hang out in the States. But if he's motivated, I mean, that that incremental jump in quality means so much in almost every sport. And it's hard to see from the outside, but we start to see it on so rare a lot the other way. You know, you can get someone destroying it in a maybe the Eredivisie and they move to the Bundesliga or the Premier League, God forbid. And even though... They're still the same player. They still might be able to produce in these games, in European games. But week in, week out, playing against that incrementally higher caliber of player, they're going to struggle. And from the outside, it might not seem the same. And I think that someone like Insigne spent his whole career playing the very top of the game. I don't think that even the physicality, all these things are going to affect him. I think he's going to come here and absolutely dominate. But Chris, you had some points sort of that might go against that or at least challenge that um yeah yeah well i mean there's no way that insignia comes here and just kind of takes his foot off the gas because he's got to get ready for the world cup with italy i mean that's you don't want to miss out on that italian national team world cup so that's is that, is that a uh, is that a troll world cup world cup wait what? who's in the <laughs> portugal <laughs> no italy by no italy thank you north macedonia um <laughs> No, no, not not a troll at all. I was just I, I forgot that for a second. That was completely my bad. Um, but yeah, no, Insignia coming to the MLS is a great thing. Um, and I think specifically coming from Syria, Ah is a lot more physical league. So I think that adapts a little bit better. Um, but we have seen we have seen guys come over and kind of struggle with the travel and with recovery. And this year may not be quite so difficult because there's only five midweek games, so there's not a ton of back-to-back-to-back long flights you know but coming from toronto you're i mean toronto to orlando is a long flight like you're gonna be on that plane for a long time and if your body is not used to that it can kind of throw you off and not to say that he won't um paired for that that's just something that that potentially erode um, i don't know if you have any yeah i mean that the the distance like people in the rest of the world don't realize how big the united states actually is we were talking about thomas Hassel earlier. And there's a reason the team struggle going into BC place. 
it is essentially on the other side of the world from Orlando. <laughs> it is a long, long flight to get over there. And you're exhausted. I mean, I travel, I used to travel for work and it is exhausting. And so one thing I do want to say though, Nashi, is I know we're excited about Insignia, but he's not the greatest player that's ever going to play in the MLS. We had this one guy named Slatan at one point. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ben Bender. Oh, no. At Zlatan, I don't know if you remember this, but back in, you know, good old 2019, which is only a couple of years ago, he managed to play in 31 games and have 31 goals. So that's okay. By the way, yeah, Vancouver. I mean, so Kansas City just played in Vancouver this past weekend. They traveled 3,173 kilometers. Just just for perspective. It's a 30-hour road trip. Yeah, go ahead, Nashi. Sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, like I'm, I would expect that in Sint. Zlatan is of that world-class level, and he came here late in his career, but he's so physically in shape and such a specimen that he was still just, he was dominant, yeah, like you say. But Insigne, he's just won the Euro- European Championships with Italy. He was a key player in that team. That's all we're going to say about that, but <laughs> we'll move on quickly. But um, And he's playing at a, a top level for a top-class team, and I think similar to Zlatan's performance there where you just saw this guy come into the league and just, you know, there was that difference in quality. I think that Insigne is going to do that. That's my prediction. I'll be very, I almost, if he doesn't, it will almost tell me even more. It'll be really interesting to see that. If he comes and struggles, I'll be blown away. It will be a reflection on the MLS that, well, actually this is, you know, it will tell a lot like we spoke about last week about the level of the general play in the MLS if, if he comes here and he doesn't have that kind of impact. Uh, personally now, so, now Nashi when you say he struggles are you are you meaning like he comes here and he doesn't immediately make Toronto the Bayern Munich of of the MLS or are you saying he comes here and doesn't have any effect at all on Toronto like what's your definition of struggling have, if he's not the best player in the league I guess I don't know I don't know if he'll be a good one uh, and it's, it's interesting it's interesting to say that Nashi because you're in California I believe and here in the States, like it's big on football. You can send the best quarterback football, meaning the NFL, you can send the best quarterback to the worst team. They will still more than likely be the worst team because you need the pieces around them. So, I mean, there's 11, there's 10 other guys out on the pitch with Insignia and like he needs creativity around him. And in a perfect world, that creates more space for Pozuelo to find him if Pozuelo and Insignia can stay healthy. And so I'm really curious to see what happens because we all know, you know, as a striker, how many touches are you really getting every single match? I mean, you're not, you don't have the ball at your feet the entire game to do what you want with. So they give him 10, 15 really quality looks, you know, what, what's actually going to be realistic for a team of that quality? Because the end of the day, I mean, if you put me on the pitch with a whole bunch of like three-year-olds that can't run or do anything, like and I'm playing against a bunch of people my age, I'm not gonna be able to do anything. You know, it's well, you wouldn't be able not, to do anything anyway, so that's fine. Yeah, because I'm short and I have two left feet, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. But but I don't analogy, think but I don't think we can discount how good Toronto is, though. Like they've got pieces. Jimenez is a really nice quality striker. Pozuelo's a good player. Salcedo's pretty good in the back, and they've got a bunch of young guys like Marshall Ruddy can can step up. Schaffelberg can step up. I like Ralph Pariso a lot, but he hasn't really gotten a chance. Um, so they've got guys. I don't. I don't think this is like they're putting him on the worst team in the league. This is, he's not going to Miami. Um, so I mean, I, yeah. I think I think we do have to have a little bit of that. All right. Well, that, that's something to keep an eye on. I guess that's a good thing. Um, should we move on to on that same topic? Players so rare going to be releasing the new MLS cards. What is there anyone you guys, Bob? Is there anyone you're looking out for? 
obviously I feel like we're going to hear some Charlotte names coming out, but yeah, who are you, who are you excited to chase down in the market? Why would you say uh, that? He's He likes Charlotte? Is that a thing? I like, yeah. Uh, as Chris said, I'm a big Charlotte supporter and Ben Bender is the guy that I want. I plan to get him in limited, rare, and super rare. That's first things first. he plans first thing. to pay more than how long? Oh, man, I really hope I don't have to, but I will if I need to. So if I have to sell Holland for Ben Bender, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but, I'd love to see that. Uh, oh, man. I mean, when it really comes down to it, you know, Ben Bender is a U23 midfielder that's starting for them. He some He splits corners with Swiderski. You know, he's been the most creative force on that team. His AA is slowly creeping up there. And that's what I really look for, Nashi, the AA guys. And so Bender is just a young talent that I think can be and will be the core of that team. I mean, you don't take him with the number one overall pick if you don't think he can do that for you. So it's just the guy that I want. So I can't afford the unique when it actually comes out. But I'm looking to grab him. I would love to get Swiderski to pair up with him because I am desperately short of strikers right now it's i've got guys like boo and salary who just have not really been great so far and the inconsistency is killing my teams so again swiderski and rare and super rare would be ideal and then i'd like to round that off with kalina in the back so i mean those are the three charlotte guys but when it really comes at, at the end though like I, I would love to see a drew you see somebody like that you know a facundo torres Talis Magno, like there's a lot of young talent, Alan Velasco coming in that I'd love to get my hands on. The question is, you know, am I going to bring the bank for it? Like, am I going to sell Mbappe and Holland for it? I mean, I know the answer to that question. You guys don't. Yeah. I know the answer to that question. The answer so, is yes. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, with, with Drew, Drew, you see, I saw him uh, just tying on to the point before. I, I went to the Austin game a couple of weeks ago and it was that, thing that I was talking about with Insigne about Zlatan where there was a player on the pitch who was just head and shoulders above the rest of the game and the influence he had on that game not only through his decisive actions but in terms of just you know he was controlling the whole game he was telling his teammates what to do and I was blown away I was surprised at his quality and obviously he does the business on so rare too he's not a cheap card but he he is fundamentally a quality player which I like to go for as well as to match up with the Matrix. You know, some guys on Sorry have big scores, you know, week in, week out. And then you watch them play and you can't quite see. But just to reinforce what you're saying, he, he looked like a top quality player, especially for this level. Yeah. And Nashi, I mean, he has some AA game too. I mean, 17 AA scores, you know, 22 AA scores without goals. Like, these are the guys you drool over. Like, this is exactly what Jesus, Jesus Ferreira did last year before he started actually getting those decisives. He was an all-around guy that was required everywhere on the pitch to create a lot of opportunities and Drew's scoring the goals. It's, I mean, his floor right now is around 0.75. And I mean, I've strongly considered selling players to purchase him. You know, I'm trying to pump the brakes a little bit because I would like to see if he goes cheaper when it comes to auctions and when the new cards come out with the XP all adjusted. I, I kind of want to see, I want to own some of the new cars. I think they look coolly weird, if that makes sense. You know, and it's just different. And I want to see if that price can dip a little bit. You know, if it if it gets down to 0.6, I'm jumping on that in a heartbeat. You know, it's yeah. a guy that I feel like if you want to win over the summer and you don't have Insignia, you don't have heel, 
you need someone like Triusi that can, you know, pop off and score you 90, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think, um, going to, on the same thing, a couple of cards that I'm looking forward to. One is um, Chara, Yimi Chara. He's a midfield card right now, but touching on the AA scores, if they release his new cards of forward, which I think they should, he could be a pretty good value pickup for the same reasons. He's going to get decisive, but last season, at least, he was getting some really nice AA scores. And coming into this year, I was looking, doing some scouting. I was like, he's going to be my forward. And then I realized his cards were midfield. <laughs> so if he releases a forward card, I think he could be a good little bit of value for the same reasons you say. Because it can't be underestimated. The guys that have no all-round, especially forwards, getting a sit. the difference between a 60 and an 80 on the leaderboards is humongous. It's exponentially big, you know, for the one decisive for a forward. And yeah, I, he's someone I'm looking out for if they bring a forward card out. And then my other guy is uh, Fede Navarro, who, just because I'm a uh, Chicago Chicago fan now, and he's a, he's a little tenacious uh, defensive midfielder. I haven't even looked at his scores. I'm not sure if he's even going to be good for the game, but I need to get him in. Sounds like he plays a bit like you, Bob. So I'll, uh, I'll get him in. I like, I like watching him play. He, uh, he's not afraid to put his foot in. So um, another, one who, another one who I saw, actually, um, for New York, I went, you know, I was obviously Maginot is going to come out and he's kind of hyped, but they, they had another player, Santiago Rodriguez, and I didn't know much about him. And uh, when I watched him, he was very dynamic. He was very confident. He's, uh, I saw him against the Galaxy. He, didn't, he hasn't, didn't really make a decisive play and it was sort of a pragmatic match, but he was more impressive to me on the eye than uh, Maginot was that game. And yeah, again, he's one I haven't looked into his so rare scores or... I don't know much about him beyond just watching him that game. And I remember noting in my head, oh, he looks like a decent player. Um, do you know much about him? Or Chris, Chris, do you know anything about him? Have you got anyone you're looking out for? Yeah, I mean, Santi Rodriguez is, is a good player. NYC has a bunch of them. You talked about Talos Magno. You talked about, we talk about Maxi Morales is still here. He's 34, 35, but he's still kicking. Um, Tati Castellanos still has not left yet. So if you start to get... And maybe this is more for the future when, you know, Maxi's gone and Tati's sold. Then maybe you start to see a little bit more of a breakout and they start to rely a little bit more on him. But uh, they just have so many players right now that I just, I don't know if he has the ball at his feet enough to really make a huge impact on the game. Um, and I, so I, I kind of want with, with my side of things, um, Bob and I are very different. Like Bob goes for the rewards. He tries to win things and I am more of a trader. I like to, you know, buy low, sell high. Like I picked up Lukaku this week, um, which I thought is just a really cheeky move on my part. Um, and I pick him up because I, I, I said in my mind, like he's never going to have, he's never going to be lower than this, right? His stock is as low as it's going to get. I'm not going to get anything out of him until August at the earliest, like until he gets a move somewhere. Um, but once he does get that move, then he should be worth way more than what I paid for him. So from that mindset, the new guys that I want to see come out are number one, the, the draft guys. So we talked about Ben Bender a lot, but there are other guys in this draft who have some talent. I like Roman Celitano. I like a lot that he's in Cincinnati. And eventually Cincinnati will find out how to play defense. Um, I do like that Alec Khan is a little bit older. So I think Celentano eventually is going to get that job. They do have another young goalkeeper, Beckham Sunderland, who is also very good. So it'll kind of be one of those two. But I was really, really impressed with Celentano. So I'm going to pick up his 
goalkeeper card for probably nothing at the end of the season. Um, Thor Larvson has got a little time for Houston. He's had a nice start. Kip Keller has got a little time for Austin. He's had a nice start. Uh, Usweni Buda drew a penalty for San Jose over the weekend. Um, He's starting to get a little bit of, of action. I know they were really high on Ahmed Longmire in Nashville. They moved up to get him. And you know Nashville knows how to scout defenders. So if they're high on him, he's probably a pretty decent player. Um, who else did I like from the draft class? Asai Easley in, in Sporting Kansas City went pretty late. And then a guy who actually went round three, who I don't know if you even know. Do you know who the backup goalkeeper is, Bob, for Charlotte? Uh, it's not Cisniega. It's not Cisniega. It's this guy. He beat him out. It's George Marks from Clemson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, George, yeah he's he. So I watched him. Clemson won the national championship last year, and it was purely because George Marks is an absolute machine at keeping balls out of the back of the net. So I'm going to be picking up one of him up as well. Uh, and, and this is all going to be later on because I don't think any of these guys really break out this year for, per se. But come the end of the season, when everybody's dirt cheap, just as a get them for the future type thing, I'm, I'm going to love to do that. And then also, you've got your new talents in the league. So we talked about Tylus Magno. A guy that we have not talked about is Facundo Torres in Orlando. And a guy that I'm really excited to be picking up, hopefully, if he's cheap enough. Um, and I think he is eventually going to be playing in a top five league in Europe. And when you play in champion Europe, you're just worth more than when you play in the MLS. So I'm going to, you know, pick him up and just wait until he gets that transfer. Um, I don't need him to have huge AA scores because I don't need to win anything. If I win anything from him, great, but, uh, that's not where my focus is going to be. It's going to be coming from. And then obviously Velasco down in Dallas is the other real major one. And I think Houston signed somebody who's pretty good too, Ferreira. Um, so those are the guys that I'm I'm kind of going to be looking out. Bob, do you have something on, on one of those guys? No, I mean, just watching Facundo work in Orlando City right now has been a lot of fun. They've got a lot of new pieces in there, and they're trying to find their way. And he seems to open up a lot of space. You know, I mean, feeding Car in the middle to clear over to Pato for a goal over this weekend. Like, just there's a lot of things that can open up with that kind of skill in the people that they bring in. And so I'm looking forward to him. I would like to see his AA scores be a little higher before I put too much money into him. Because if you don't know, I come from a limited background where you have to score about 480 points to win a week. And so I'm looking for big AA scores that can actually get decisives. And so it's I'm still taking that thought process over to the rare and super rare part of the world. And those players are a bit more expensive and not as easy to come by. And that's really where I'm trying to focus right now. So I'd like to see Facundo do a bit more, but I mean, he's 21 years old. He's coming into his own. And like we just talked about a little while ago, you don't just hit the MLS running and be perfect. You know, it's just the regular place where you are. So it takes a little time and his game is built in such a way that he can just be really, really good from an AA perspective and a decisive perspective. So, so Bob, um, You've touched on it. Chris touched on it. It sounds like you've got a kind of a unique strategy when it comes to Surrey. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because uh, I'm interested to hear. It doesn't sound like you're sort of following the, the mainstream when it comes to your strategic choices. Yeah, I am quite a bit different. Again, this really comes from the fact that I play mainly in limiteds. So in limited, like I said, you need to score over 450 points. You know, a buddy of mine scored over 500 and didn't even podium in U23 one week which is just mind boggling. But so what that means is that you need everybody to minimally be over 80 
to even have a chance of approaching a T zero. So I want guys that can do that, you know, decently priced guys that can do that. And so I'm looking for high AA guys that can get decisive. So guys like Jesus Ferreira last year, more so than this year that have the AA ability to do that, you know, and that's why today, you know, I own Mbappe. I own Holland. I actually don't play Holland that often because Holland is a, you either score 37 points if you don't get a decisive or you score about 70 if you get a decisive. And so honestly, while he may be my favorite player, that doesn't win you the big rewards and limited, which is what I'm playing for. I'm looking to maximize my return, Nashi, on the cards that I win. Because in my limiteds, it's really difficult to get a guy that is going to be better and going to immediately go into my starting lineups. Like I would have to win champion Europe. And by winning champion Europe, I would have to get Robert Lewandowski. Like, and he's going to replace Kiro Immobile, I guess. You know, I don't think he's going to replace Thomas Mueller. So I'm looking for those guys that can just go really, really big. And I'm also playing the guys that can consistently get there. So I will often play two forwards or two midfielders. And I'm looking for the guys that can really boom. And when you have those and they all hit, that's when magic happens. You know, it's the easiest way to do it and limited is just buy an entire Bayern stack and put your captain on Kimmich and hope Lewandowski and Mueller are running well and you pick the right defender that hits 100 that week. Like, that's how you win. But that's not realistic in a budget. And so I use this approach when it comes down to it. And I don't play a guy just because I spent a lot of money on him. I play a guy with the sole purpose of winning. And then when I win a guy, I either sell the guy or if I'm going to keep him, I sell somebody else and I replace him more or less. And that way I'm continually building ETH into you know, my, my wallet, basically, that allows me to go out and upgrade at positions. And it has allowed me to upgrade in the rare and super rare divisions right now in preparation to really go hard at D3 or rare pro and the super rare division. Okay, that's- yeah. I mean, that's... Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, that's really interesting that you say that and that you always kind of have your teams in mind. And if you win someone and you're going to keep them, you sell somebody else. It sounds like you try to be very, very efficient and you try not to have extra players. It sounds like you don't really send too many people to training each week. How does the... The new, um, the new game modes, the new, you know, everything that just came out with the new um, announcement. How does that change things? Because I know for me, I've been trying to do the same type of thing that you are, like having my teams and kind of paring things down and, and getting things to as efficient as they possibly can be, and putting as much money into my first team as I can. And now these new game modes are out, and I find myself kind of buying some more prospecty type guys. Because I can throw them into underdog. I can throw them into maybe a specialist with a guy that I'm not using. Does that change your mindset at all? Well, first, my teams are not nearly as efficient as they may sound. I specifically have built in depth to make sure that I cover for injuries. And I cover for off weeks and weeks that just don't match up. So I still have about 80 limited cards, Chris. And so I fill up a ton of training lineups. I mean, on the thin weights, it's probably 25 to 30 training lineups. You know, a lot of those are comments and stuff like that, but I'm trying to maximize their XP bonuses. But I don't need more than that is what it really comes down to. And so I always have some guys at the bottom end. I'm just willing to move on, you know? And with these new leagues, 
I have not even really considered going into the underdog league. It's just, those are not the type of players that I really have in my gallery. I have depth, but it's all quality depth. You know, I mean, if I'm telling you that I'm not starting Holland because he's not a top end option, that's got to tell you something about my limited lineups. Like I do the same thing. Like sometimes I choose between Pedro Gonzalez at Sporting and Jude Bellingham in Dortmund. Like sometimes they won't make the lineup based on matchups and based on who else is playing. So in the specialist limited, I love that idea. I love having the ability to put extra guys in there. Now, I tried to win it this week, and our boy Alecon did not have a big game. And Cecilia from Daegu got a knock in training and missed the game. So that was just completely out the window. But if I have guys to fill those teams, I will always fill a specialist limited team. Because if I can win a star rare, I'm going to take a chance at it. Like, I'm always going to take a chance at those things. But I'm not going to specifically spend money on lower tier guys as if I was just starting off the game and trying to hit my referral reward or you know, my initial bonus with buying five guys off of the auction market. Like I just, I've gone beyond that point with where I am in the game. I know better for myself and my team needs. So specialist limited, I'll fill a team with that all the time, but underdog, I will very rarely if ever fill a team there. Yeah. Um. Do you think like you touched on the uh, competitiveness of the limited market because the scarcity and do you think this is the start of like a um, a fork between more competitive slash professional minded players and recreational players? And they're sort of making a natural fork now. What I mean by that is like, as you know, in generally daily fantasy, the people winning consistently are going to be spending a lot of time crunching the data like yourself. They're going to be, you know, really playing to get an ROI out of it. It becomes hyper competitive and sometimes you lose the engagement from like the recreational player because they just simply aren't going to be making the decisions, putting the lineups to be competitive with this field. So what in games like poker and things like that, increasing, introducing variance to the game modes gives the little guy a lot better of a chance on any given week, maybe not in the long run, but it, it, that perception of chance is what keeps them engaged. It keeps them fun. And these new game modes, I think, are, the, are so rare recognizing that and saying, well, this guy, you might have a bunch of tier twos in your limited gallery because you like them and you're playing for fun so rare. And then one week, because of the criteria, now this guy that you have, who's pretty useless in the global all-star regularly, is now the highest EV or like the highest, the best performing hypothetically player this week because he's under 40, but he's got a good matchup and he's at home and the other team's terrible. And he can actually probably, you know, put up a big score. That gives that smaller guy hope that maybe next week they're going to fit into that and they're going to have a chance of winning a star rare or whatever. I think it's brilliant. I think it's the best thing to come out of the update. And I really think that the future of so rare is going to look potentially like that, where there's one side of the game of pool of players that are playing competitive. We're trying to beat other managers who are really putting all their time and effort into it. And that's fun from a competitive standpoint for them people. And there's also a market for the people who are playing for fun, want to collect the players they like, but still want a chance of doing something with them. They don't want to be completely drawing dead to, to win anything. Does that, does that resonate with you or is there anything you'd add on top of that? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I like the idea of the underdog, but I always ask the question. So we're going to play in an underdog that requires everybody to be under 40. So 
I've got five guys under 40 and I always want to compete in this league. Do I want my guys to stay permanently bad so I can always compete or do I want them to be really good so I can win? Because like, let's say I win a week in the underdog and I won because everybody hit decisives and I was right on the verge. I was right at 40 and now everybody's L15 is now 41. I no longer have a team that can play. It's a really weird dynamic. And it's also driving up the prices of some of the lesser, the tier three kind of players. And so I don't know how you balance that, but I love the fact that we have usage of those guys. If I have five of them, I'm going to throw them in a lineup. Like, it's awesome. I got to use John Tolkien this week, and I haven't had a chance to use him in a long time because I love him. And I know that he can hit 100 because he did it last year. And those are the guys that I'm actually more excited to watch than some of the big guys too, because it's just kind of cool when they hit. So I like that it brings and gives an opportunity, but it's kind of a double-edged sword too, because guys like Pavel, big galleries, they've got plenty of these guys. They can just throw them in there and compete. You know, is it good to be buying guys for the underdog division specifically for it to compete in it? I simply don't know the answer to that question. And I mean, I think that this along with Nashi, the overall announcements that is tied into getting driving people more towards the limiteds with the underdog, but also by taking the common goalkeepers away from the thresholds.
All right. So, so was there anything else, Bob, that stood out from the announcement to you? Anything that resonated with you uh, that you liked or um, wanted to wanted to dial in on? Well, as a limited player and a person that thinks that people should start with limiteds, I thought the most important thing from the announcement was the removal of the common goalkeepers and the common card from the rare threshold teams. I think that so rare is essentially. They, they released the limiteds wanting it to be the starting points for a lot of people. And because the threshold was there, a lot of people went to the thresholds and they didn't spend on the biggest player, which is typically your goalkeeper, your most expensive player, to grind thresholds. And when you grind those thresholds, a portion of the people doing that are simply just taking the money out and it's not going back into the system. So it's more or less operating at a loss for Soware. So I believe from a business perspective that they removed that and were making a rare goalkeeper a requirement to grind threshold, which are tied to the U.S. dollar, in order to drive more people down into limited and to start from limited so they can actually get it more robust when it goes through there. And they give them a cheaper starting point and a point where they can actually buy some of the people that they really know and they want to follow. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That's an interesting point that you say, too, about them wanting to drive them down and wanting people not to grind E thresholds. And my kind of follow up to that is if you don't, if you want people to not grind E thresholds, why are E thresholds still in the game? You know, why not drop them down to limited? Why not, um, you know, completely remove them altogether? I kind of felt like from, from my perspective, you took off the common goalkeeper, which is fine. And I was kind of expecting that. That's, but it's, it's still, still a negative thing. It gives us less options. And they didn't add anything. They didn't give us anything back on that side of things. Um, if that's really their their kind of mindset, why wouldn't you just kind of take it all off or, or even drop it down to limiteds, make it a smaller threshold? I mean, whatever you have to do to make the numbers work, it seems to me coming into the game, and, and you're, you're right, coming into the game, you should start with limiteds and not just go to rare. But if that's the thing, you still have an E threshold here. Like you can still start with rare. It's just going to cost more to start with. Yeah, I really feel that the reason that they did this is that they said the thresholds would stay through the end of the year. I believe that we're going to see a pretty steep decline in the amount of thresholds that are hit each week, which will therefore make more money and allow them to fill their, allow them to spend more money on prizes and stuff like that. I believe that that number of E thresholds are going to decrease throughout the course of the year to the point where they will have the statistical and quantitative data to show that E thresholds are no longer the driving force for why people are coming into the game. And if they can do that, they can prove to their backers, they can prove to themselves that it's okay to remove the thresholds. That's from the business perspective of how I see that, Chris. And I think that in general, they want that to happen more so than anything else, because you can't just make it all disappear and just throw it all away right away. It's just, it's too stark of something you need some proof you need a proof concept more or less all right so chris i'm going to shoot a question at you about the mls partnership i'm kind of interested in how like how is this how big is this announcement is this partnership for from the mls side for the company for the league versus the so side like is this a big thing is this going to draw a lot of eyes to the league in general to the sport over here or how do you think about it 
Yeah, so that's a really interesting question, and I think a lot of times we maybe don't even think about the league side of this, but in this case, this is a huge, huge deal for the MLS as a league. They are trying to become a top five league, essentially. That's their goal, is to be the Premier League or the Bundesliga, a league that everybody wants to watch. And I think this is a major step towards that, even if they maybe don't see it themselves. What this essentially does is put a lot of the most hardcore European soccer eyes on the MLS. Because now you have, um, you know, you have the badges, you have the kits, you have everything, everything's all official. And you can actually start to maybe do some of the stuff like they did with the Real Batiste. That was a really cool, you know, experience that they got to do. If they start to do that with the MLS and European guys start to see what's going on over here with, with as you call football in in this country i think that they will start to have a little bit of respect for you know what's been built and and maybe see a little bit of the potential and this kind of shifts the mentality hopefully for the league they can shift the mentality with all these extra eyes off of it being you know a retirement league where beckham and zlatan you know come and great players but they finish their careers kind of a step behind at that point and it kind of shifts it on to being more of a talent producing league not only from our own academies here, but also people going and buying young, talented South American players. We've talked about a bunch of them earlier today. Velasco, Facundo Torres, Talis Magno, all great players that are now getting to show their game to an international, you know, viewing audience. And I think that's really, really important for the league. And I think that's a great next step in how this league really starts to become a true top five league and not just just another league in, in the world. Um, now, Bob, what do you think about this? Is there any anything that you see from this partnership um, that maybe from the Sorare side that, they, uh, that they're going to get out of it? Well, I mean, I think there's pluses on both sides, right? I mean, to kind of piggyback on what you were just saying about the MLS, when you get so rare boards and advertisements out in the middle of MLS matches, you get Americans interested. And we just tend to flock to the fire and we will just kind of all go for it. And like, once one person gets into it, you can get another couple of people into it. And then all of a sudden it can start expanding. And the more people you gain access to, the better it's going to be for so rare as a company. And the better it's going to be also for the MLS because you get more eyes on it. Now for so rare, I actually think this is a brilliant strategic partnership with the MLS, because the MLS has ties to the EPL. You know, you look at NYCFC being in partnered with Manchester City. If you get NYCFC now part of your squad, more or less, and you get Manchester City watching and seeing what's going on, maybe that helps a little bit when you're trying to court the EPL to actually get signed on. You know, every little thing helps in a business relationship. And I think that's a really different kind of angle to take when you're building those partnerships you know you get liverpool you already have on the platform you get man city you get some of the big teams that have influence and sway to help with those decisions or maybe you get owners that push through you know maybe there's another a higher probability that we actually get those rights because at the end of the day so rare needs the epl i believe so rare needs the epl and i think that it would just overall help with just bringing on and onboarding a ton more people from the United States who love their fantasy sports, be it football, NFL, basketball, golf, tennis, anything. And it opens up doors for more sports that SoRare is contemplating bringing out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you make um, about maybe new sports and maybe different avenues to kind of get into the American market, which I know they've talked about quite a bit. And 
the MLS partnership is great, but let's be honest, more Americans watch the Premier League than the MLS. So if you can get that Premier League deal, that will really, really solidify you in the United States. Um, so I think that's a really great thing. Great step, obviously a great step in the right direction, something we're really excited about. It was cool to launch the pod on the same day as the MLS and so rare have, uh, have kind of announced their partnership. So really cool things there. Um, we have a couple of questions to get to, and I see Bob smiling from ear to ear over there as he knows what's about to come. Um, but we do have a couple of questions here. We're going to start off with the first question we ever got as a podcast, and that's our thoughts about a John Pulsecamp, Kansas City goalkeeper, young guy, still a U23 guy. What do you think about him, Bob? So I love U23 goalkeepers. I think that Sporting KC has struggled. We talked about it earlier. You know, they are not generating a lot of offense. They're getting put out. And Melia just simply hasn't looked great overall for them. I think that if you give him a chance, you give Pulsecamp a chance because he is potentially not even a downgrade for Melia, then it's worth the shot because you do as a business, because that's what they are at the end of the day, you have to see what you have. And if Pulsecamp is going to be a long-term solution for Sporting KC, it's worth giving him that shot, especially if things are looking a little down or you need to liven up the team and get a little motivation back going on. You know, there are a lot of weird things that go on with the actual structure and how you run these things, these teams. And I think overall getting Pulse Camp in not only helps, but it can also help you from a business perspective as well. You know, if he's great, maybe you sell him off to an English team you know, or in a, a European team, just like the next Gagos Lunina, was going to be a massive win for you all around, you know, but you have to give the guy the chance. You know, Chris, you and I talked about it with uh, FC Dallas. You know, we talked about, you know, do you start Jimmy Maurer or do you start Martin Pice? And I was a really adamant about you have to give Pice the chance. You have to see what you have here to see if they are going to be the future for your team. And you don't give up on a season this early, but sometimes you need to shake things up a little bit just to see what's going to happen. And if you don't believe it's going to be a big downgrade, it's worth the risk because what's the worst thing that can happen? He is absolutely terrible and you lose a game or two. Okay, we move on and we make that change and we just never bother with it again. But odds are, from what we have seen before, he should fit in pretty well. Yeah, and as a... As a Jimmy Maurer owner, sorry, I'm just going to add real quick to, to what he just said. As a Jimmy Maurer owner, I'm a little bit still sore about that decision. So I appreciate you bringing that up and uh, and opening that wound again. So that was great. Um, but yeah, you're correct. Uh, you do need to see what you have. And also watching Kansas City games, I haven't watched a ton of them. But when I've seen them play, every goal that goes in, I think, man, Melia should do better with that. Um, so I don't know that it's a big downgrade. Pulse Camp has shown he's got some talent. He plays for the U.S. youth national teams. So, yeah, I mean, why not? You know, see what you've got. You, And it's kind of the same thing that Minnesota did last year. They had Dane St. Clair starting, who was great in 2020, just was horrific for the first four games last year. They went to Tyler Miller and all of a sudden turned around four straight losses into a playoff team and, you know, they got to where they wanted to be. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that's kind of what happens. But um, I said at the start of the season, I think that Pulse Camp wins this job at some point this season, and I still think that that's going to happen. I don't think that that happens immediately, but I, I do think that it, it's going to happen at some point um, this season. So go ahead, Nashi. What did you want to say? 
I was going to roll into question number two coming in from MPen10. He says, please explain the offside rule, Bob. Um, is it, it seems like there's a story behind this. Do you want to get into that? Oh, man. So this is the ignorant American in me. There was a goal that was scored the other day by Georgie Mihaljevic because Atlanta FC decided that they wanted to push everybody up towards the box. And Mihaljevic was 20 yards behind everybody, but he was still on the correct side of midfield so there was no offsides and i ignorantly posted on twitter because why wouldn't it be good for the entire world to know i'm dumb why isn't this offsides and needless to say uh it took the piss it was not ideal it was not a good situation for me and i was a yeah a pretty big bell end it was not a it's, not a, a, it's, it's a, all part of the journey mate you gotta you gotta take a few on the chin you gotta take a bit of the banter just make sure you're there to give it back to them next time See, Nashi, it just goes to show you don't actually need to know anything about soccer, aka football, to actually win in so rare. So there's hope out there for me. I was, I was going to say, say I, 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 did, I, I noticed you didn't actually answer the question, though. Do you know what the offside rule is? Can you explain it for us? Yes. He's looking it up on Google. He is. <laughs> I can see him typing over there. Yeah, I see you, oh, I see you, you looking be, it up on yeah. Google. All right, let's not be off the defensive end. Let's go. Let's uh, let's move it on. He had a follow-up question. I don't know if you guys want to get into this. He says, a more genuine question, he says, having recently moved into super rares, how do you or how should we value them? It's often different, more subjective, depending on the quality of player. Is there something else? Um, how, do, how do you sort of go about valuing your super rares, just moving into them? Uh, it's, you have to buy good ones. Like it's Unfortunately, if you don't have great ones, no one's going to buy them. They are illiquid assets. And so I try to focus on great players. If you don't have them, you just can't do much with them. It's and he's, he's really asking specific, specifically between like if you've got is there like a general multiplier? If you've got a rare card that point one, is it three x, four x, five x for the super rare, or is it really subjective depending on the player? It depends on why I'm selling. Uh, if I need the ETH to get something else, then it's whatever I can get for it. But perfect world i'll start it you know i'll start at three and a half to four x and we'll see where it goes typically all of these sales happen in conversation through discord very nice yeah i think that's a really interesting if there's like a supplier on that question there um and i think i just kind of want to follow up on that just really quickly here do you see more value in maybe buying some super rare players that are more prospecty, that are more like young players that haven't proven themselves that maybe down the road, they turn into that elite guy that, that you actually want, or is it just strictly, I only want to buy players that uh, have already proven in the past that they can. I am looking for proven players. That's the long and short of it. When it comes to just spending money on a super rare, I want productivity out of it. I'm not looking to make a fortune on buying someone cheap that turns into Kylian Mbappe. I know realistically that's not going to happen. So I'm looking to make the most out of what we have and I want good players. Love it. Uh, so our last question that we're going to take this week comes from our good friend Hoodwink. And Hoodwink wants to know who this year's MVP is going to be and why is it Lucas Zellerion? <laughs> it's Lucas Zellerion because Hoodwink owns him and so do I. Mm. But realistically uh we talked about him earlier it's Driussi. he just he looks different on the field he looks like in complete control of what's happening he has the aa and he has the ability to hit those decisives and he does it consistently that's where my money is 
Is there some consideration for like where the team finishes in the standings? Because like last year it was Carlos Heel on the Supporters Shield winning New York or New England Revolution. Do you think Austin finishes high enough for him to be realistically the MVP? Uh, it's as you've put out videos and talked about this before. The MLS is completely random, and the worst teams could be mid-tier teams or even the best teams. Uh, it's really too early to tell where Austin will finish. And we can't really assume that they're going to finish towards the bottom because they're looking pretty strong so far. I know they haven't played the greatest teams in the world, but they look good. And honestly, if he is, if he continues at this pace, he would obviously be the MVP. But overall, I mean, it's, he's looking good right now. And if he can be consistent enough, then I just like him. He's dynamic. He changes the game. He results in the most wins that I've seen of any single player so far. Yeah, love that. So he's got actually three parts to his question, so we'll go through all three of them. Uh, We kind of touched on this a little earlier. Where do you think your beloved Charlotte will finish? I mean, I would like to see them push for the playoffs. Is that realistic? Uh, In my mind, it is. But, you know, I don't want them at the bottom of the table. (laughs) You know, realistically, I think that they're going to beat some teams that they probably shouldn't beat. They might they're going to lose to some teams that they should beat. It's going to be a weird season up and down. I think that they are forming at the start of the year. Everyone said they had no offense whatsoever. They couldn't move the ball at all. And we have seen that Bender and Swiderski have actually made a pretty big impact. And I think that they are learning how to play in that system. And I think that they have the opportunity to continue to grow with it. Now, injuries and time off and all of those things obviously play in. But, you know, I mean realistically top 10 is what i would hope in the division in the conference but who knows honestly it could be if kalina stands on his head anything could happen well we know they're not going to finish bottom of the league because they already have more points than inner miami is going to get all this season so you're probably pretty good there yeah i Um, mean if they can continue playing against cincinnati and alec Khan, they might be all right (laughs) yeah right um so who will be the titular goaltender for the united states of america men's national team at the soccer world cup 2022 man i hope it's matt turner really really do i i like seeing the college system in america which is given a lot of grief actually come through like Matt Turner's a kid that barely, like, didn't even really play much. Went to a very small school, and now he is in the running to be the starting goaltender of the United States World Cup team. I mean, it's what dreams are made of in the in the football soccer world. Fun fact about Mount Turner: he actually was not drafted. He signed as an undrafted free agent with New England. So, even if you don't get drafted, there's always still hope that you can start for the United States at a World Cup. Um, so that is all the time that we have for today. I want to really thank Bob for coming on and donating so much of his very valuable time to talk a little footy with us. Uh, I really appreciate that, uh, from you, Bob, and being the first ever guest on the Sober in the States podcast. Any last thoughts, Nashi? No, thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed that. We, uh, yeah, loads of, loads of insight for me as, you know, my position coming to the MLS learning about it. It was brilliant. Cheers, awesome. guys. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate that from you, Bob. And until the next time, vamos United.